Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we come to thee, thy people, glad to be in thy presence, in fellowship with thee, to praise thee and to receive of thy bounty through thy word. We thank thee, our Father, for the joy of salvation and for the glory of thy word. We thank thee that thy word speaks to us with thy comfort in our sorrow, in darkness, in despair, and gives us hope. We thank thee that thy word is unto us gospel, good news. We thank thee that it is thy voice, and that thou art the God of truth, and the God who does ordain all things so that in thy word we have a lamp unto our feet and a blessed assurance in the face of all things. Give us hearts, therefore, our Father, day by day, to hear thy word and to answer it, and to live in its music and to march to its feet. Grant that our lives be a procession ending in immortality and a discipline to be exchanged only for the completeness of rest and service. We thank thee, our Father, for our fellowship in thee. We thank thee, our Father, that day by day thou dost strengthen us by thy grace and dost draw us closer to thee and to one another in thee. Make us a joyful and victorious people in thee unto the end that we may magnify and glorify thy holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text today is the fourth chapter of Daniel on the ritual center of the earth. Daniel 4, the ritual center of the earth. Nebuchadnezzar, the king unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my heart troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians and the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at the last Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, and before him I told the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, master of magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in thee, and no secret trouble thee. Tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretation thereof. 
Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, Thus, hew down the tree and cut off his branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit, and let the beasts get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his root in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field. And let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts and the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him. This matter is by the decree of the watchers, and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof. For as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, for the spirit of the holy God is in thee. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. The tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, and whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation, it is thou, O king, that art grown and become strong. For thy greatness is grown and reaches unto heaven, and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and unholy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it. Yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass, and the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee, after that thou shalt have known the one, the heaven, that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar.
At the end of twelve months he walked in the palace of the king of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me. And for the glory of my kingdom mine honor and brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my lords sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment. And those that walk in pride, he is able to abate. This chapter of the book of Daniel is not written by Daniel. It is written by Nebuchadnezzar. Quite remarkable fact. Daniel includes the entire proclamation of Nebuchadnezzar in his book. And we have Nebuchadnezzar's own account as he, under the Holy Spirit, expressed it. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Dreams were very important to the Babylonians because with their evolutionary perspective, they believed that the vast impersonal forces of the universe came to their expression in the high point of history in and through man. And thus it was that these blind, impersonal forces expressed themselves, naturally, in blind and impersonal ways. And therefore, in the dreams of men could be seen veiled the hints of the next step in evolution. We have a similar perspective in Freudianism, which in effect holds to the infallibility of dreams as the surest indication of man's nature and gives itself to the study of dreams that it might know and understand man and the world. So it was with the Babylonians. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, 
God spoke to him. The interpretation of dreams was important to the Babylonians, and so Nebuchadnezzar went finally to Daniel. The dream was of a gray tree, a tree rooted solidly on the earth and reaching into the heavens. It covered the earth, the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. And under it, the world dwelt as it were, and the top of it was a part of the heavens. This tree was Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel said that the interpretation was that he should be cut off, even as the tree in the dream was, and for a season become as the beast of the field, unless he repented. The dream does not gain full significance for us until we understand what the significance of this tree was in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Because while the dream was from God, it was thoroughly and totally in terms of Babylonian thinking and Nebuchadnezzar's thinking, in fact, the thinking of pagan antiquity. One of the basic concepts to the world of antiquity was the ritual center of the earth concept. What does this mean? Now, when we are interested in knowing what the driving power in a car and an automobile is, it is a very simple problem to us. It is the motor. The car goes because the motor provides the driving force. Now, man throughout all history has been interested in determining what is the driving force in history, in the world, in the universe. And men have insistently looked in this world, not beyond this world. And men have consistently said that the driving force in history is the central point of power in history. That man and empire which represent the greatest power on earth so that wherever you have a great empire, there is the center of history. There is the driving force of history. The Assyrians therefore believed that Nineveh represented the ritual center of the earth because the driving force of the earth and of the universe was there in them, for they governed the world. They determined history. This was not a new concept with them, nor was it new with Babylon. And this is a concept which has passed on through history from one people to another, so that each has seen itself, as it were, as the center of the earth, the central power of the earth, so that everything else has meaning in terms of them. When I was among the Shoshone Indians, I was interested to know that the Shoshones did not call themselves the Shoshone. They had no name for themselves. 
They have names for every other tribe, but not for themselves. Who are they? Why, we are the people. The people. We don't need a name. Others do, but not us. Go to the British Empire. And to this day, the stamps of the British Empire do not have any identifying mark. They do not say Great Britain. But all others identify themselves, but not they. They are the people. They are the center. Even more in antiquity, this concept was open to the point that the nation saw itself as the ritual center of the earth and the tree of life. All peoples were familiar with this concept. They remembered it from the Garden of Eden and the story of their forefathers. And each of them, as they gained power, said in effect, we are the tree of life. We control life. We control history. We control man. Therefore, we are the tree of life. And so one of the ancient symbols of empire with each successive empire was a pillar which was a ritualized, stylized tree to indicate that the empire that ruled the world declared, we have become the tree of life and we govern all things. We are the God of the universe, the God of history, the Lord of time and eternity. So it was that Nebuchadnezzar saw himself in this dream as the gray tree, the tree of life, Moreover, one of the basic concepts in the ancient world that was used by every power that became the world empire was that of the shepherd. We find this, for example, in the Hyksos dynasty, the shepherd kings who ruled Egypt. They ruled the world, therefore they were the shepherd kings. Because to be the great shepherd was to be God. David declared in the 23rd Psalm, The Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah is my shepherd. I shall not want. God alone, he declared, is the true shepherd. And over and over again through the prophets, God identified himself as the great shepherd of men. And our Lord Jesus Christ declared, I am the good shepherd. In which statement he declared, I am God, I am Jehovah. And he gave a special force to that statement by not only identifying himself as the good shepherd, but by using the prefix, I am But Nebuchadnezzar declared himself in his inscriptions and proclamations to be Nebuchadnezzar, the great shepherd king. He was 
God on earth. He was the tree of life. He was the governor of men and of nations. But this is not all. Like other imperial cities before him, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon carried out still a further theme. Babylon was a city built for square. The square is an ancient symbol of perfection. And so every city that claimed to be the world center, the ruler over men, God on earth, built the city for square and had in the center in its central sanctuary a pillar of stylized trees to declare we are the tree of life. We are the heavenly city, the city built for square. God declared through Moses when he gave him the pattern for the tabernacle that it was the holy of holies, the dwelling place of God which signified his presence, his eternal throne, which was to be built for square perfect cubes. And the camp was to be around it in the form of a square, saying that in effect, that their perfection only came from the throne of God and from the absolute government of God. That no human perfection and no human order could stand apart from being established around the sovereignty of God, He as the center of the earth, the center of history, its motive power. But Babylon, the city of man, was built on a square. Even as in ancient Egypt, Akhenaten built a new city to signify his rule, a square city. Nebuchadnezzar, when he had been crowned, had gone to the temple of Esagila, and there to mark him as the emperor of Babylon, he had gone forward in the central sanctuary to the great image, the image of Baal. Baal is the impersonal blind forces of nature as they are evolving in the universe. Baal standing there with an outstretched hand, and Nebuchadnezzar had taken that hand in a handshake to indicate, I am now the power in history. All the evolving forces of nature have made me the God, the tree of life, the great shepherd, the builder of the city that is the center of the earth. And now this dream, he who claims to be the great shepherd king, the tree of life. A warning from him, to him from the God of Daniel of what was to come. 
Wherefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee. Break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. Therefore, repent, O King, and turn unto the Lord. Break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. After his fashion, Nebuchadnezzar, we know from history, tried to do this. But he did it in terms of his religion. After all, was he not the tree of life? After all, was he not the great Lord of history. Therefore, in terms of this religion of self-righteousness, he was going to be good to man. And this God out there of Daniel, who was somehow a strange person who was not connected with his world and history and with the powers of the universe that had manifested themselves in Nebuchadnezzar, perhaps this God would then be satisfied, and Nebuchadnezzar would be at peace with everyone. And so he began works of social welfare, welfare legislation, activities designed to make himself a benevolent king, to provide security for the poor, to provide welfare for those who were in need to take care of everyone who had any problem. And so there was a time when Nebuchadnezzar could, in his proclamations, call attention as he addressed God and as he addressed the people to how much he was doing, how his reign was now filled with works of righteousness whereby the poor and the needy were being taken care of, and he, Nebuchadnezzar, was truly a shepherd unto his sheep. It was the epitome of self-righteousness. It was precisely the same kind of thing that the politicians today are doing as they claim to be the tree of life for the poor and the sick and the aged of the world and say, we will be the tree of life, come and rest under our shadow, and we will give you cradle-to-grave security. At the end of twelve months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. And as Nebuchadnezzar looked out from the heights of the palace on the city, and all the splendor and the glory that was his and how he had brought prosperity to the people, health to the needy. He spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? Nebuchadnezzar was congratulating himself. 
that that which Daniel's God had asked him to do, he had done. He had, by his social welfare legislation, been a righteous man, had he not? He was being a good shepherd, a good controller of history, was he not? He had, in other words, compounded his sin in the very attempt to avoid it because he had seen righteousness in terms of an anti-godly faith, a humanistic one. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. That same hour was the thing fulfilled. Nebuchadnezzar was driven from men. And he did eat grass as often, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. And his hair grew long. Nebuchadnezzar was driven from men. And he did eat grass as often, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. And his hair grew long until it was matted like feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But by the providence of God, the awe and respect for Nebuchadnezzar among his followers was so great that for a time, seven seasons, the scripture says, that is, the fullness of the required time of judgment, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was ruled by his counselors as a regency. We know from history that there was a time when suddenly Nebuchadnezzar dropped out of sight. When suddenly there were no more documents, no more proclamations in his name, only in the name of his counselors. For Nebuchadnezzar in that time, as the scripture makes clear, was like an animal kept in the grounds of the palace. His condition is a rare one, but it is known in science as zoanthropy and related to lycanthropy. And at the end of the day, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. Mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And Nebuchadnezzar goes on to declare his faith. He turned to God, and he was saved. He was converted. And his confession is a marvelous one. He confesses, first of all, the absolute power and sovereignty of God, before whom all the inhabitants of this earth are reputed as nothing. 
and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Second, he manifested repentance for his pride. Third, he confessed his sin. He was a saved man. And he tells us, moreover, I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me, so that like Job his latter end was more blessed than his former condition. This, then, is Nebuchadnezzar's part of the Bible. For inspired of God, he, one of the great emperors of all history, pens a portion of the scriptures. God blessed Nebuchadnezzar and gave him a glorious reign to the end. And so it is that Nebuchadnezzar, who represented in some respects the epitome of the dream of the city of man, became also a servant of the city of God. And thus it is that in the great image God portrayed him as gold because he ended as gold, even though his original dream ended as dust. This was Nebuchadnezzar's faith, that God is sovereign that it is not men and nations who are the tree of life, the center of the earth, the driving force of history. We can find the driving force of a car under the hood of the car, but we cannot find the driving force of history on earth. It is in heaven. It is the triune God. And this God is our God. And before him all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will. And none can say his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Thus one of the greatest emperors of all history testified to the sovereign and overruling power of God. It had humbled him, broken him, reduced him to the level of an animal, and then exalted him. This God is our God. And if we put our trust in him, we can face our tomorrows in confidence, for none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we give thanks unto thee that 
Thou art he who didst humble Nebuchadnezzar and didst redeem him. And thou art our Savior also. We thank thee that our todays and our tomorrows are in thy hands. And that the center of history, the driving force of history, is not in Moscow or London or Paris, or in the UN or in Washington or anywhere else, but in thy hands. Teach us, therefore, to keep our hearts firmly fixed there where our true joys are to be found, even in Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Are there any questions now? have a question first on Daniel 4, anything related to it. Yes. Evidence indicates, however, that they did scatter out into all the corners of the earth. We have no way of knowing how far they went because we don't have the records. We do know that which 40 years ago they doubted, that they did reach apparently China and India. St. Thomas died on a return trip from China in India. We do know that they covered Europe. We do know that they covered the northern parts of Africa, and in those days there was not any uh, life beyond the central portions of Africa. In fact, there was none until the white man settled South Africa. So that we do have an indication that they took in not only the civilized portions which they thoroughly covered, but they apparently went into other areas as well. Because there are traces of uh, the outreach into other areas. However, they did thoroughly cover the civilized world because they found their best method in those days uh, being to go to the urban centers. Paul, for example, went to every urban center of any consequence and preached there. And then the people in the urban centers had the responsibility of ministering to the surrounding areas. And so it was that there was a passage uh, from the urban centers to all the surrounding areas. The urban centers were first, however, Christianized because it was so easy to reach the population there. 
In fact, our word pagan comes from that fact because within the Roman Empire, the cities were first reached. And pagan means uh, country people. So the country people were the ones who remained pagan longest. And that's how we get the word pagan. Yes. No, they didn't maintain the purity of it. The contact in the Far East was renewed and broken many times. For example, we know that there were several establishments of Christianity in China, apparently at the time of uh, St. Thomas in the Apostolic period. Then, later on, uh, there were a number of establishments. The Nestorians had missions in China and a vast number of churches, bishops, and other things. We know that the uh, Church of Armenia had extensive missions and churches in China for a number of centuries. We know, for example, that during the time of uh, Chinggis Khan and Kublai Khan, there were a great number of churches, and there were all kinds of Europeans in the court in the Far East, as well as in India. The Muslim invasions in this area, uh, as well as the downfall of uh, the uh, dynasty established by Genghis Khan, uh, led to the decline of the church in China and the Mongol invasion in India. However, even then it was renewed periodically there were various periods of rising and waning vitality. In uh, the last couple of centuries, the church did decline apparently markedly. Yes. Zoanthropy is when they uh, take a bovine form. Lycanthropy means, and that's more common, when they assume the role of a wolf to the point of actually uh, killing like a wolf and drinking blood and so on. Yes. No, lycanthropy has a long history in civilization, in ancient Greece, in medieval Europe, and there are signs of its revival in our time. Not much is known about it. There are uh, a few works that have come out in the last few years on lycanthropy, L-Y-C-A-N-T-H-R-O-P-Y. Yes. Um, 
good question. When God spoke to Israel, he spoke directly through the mouth of the prophet, openly. But you are right, he spoke to Pharaoh, and he spoke to Nebuchadnezzar through dreams. The reason being, of course, the biblical faith is in a totally self-conscious God who is sovereign, omnipotent, all-wise, all-holy, and totally personal. Now, a totally personal God speaks openly and infallibly. Now, an impersonal God doesn't speak openly or self-consciously. So if you are a believer that the God or gods of the universe is a blind, impersonal force working in nature, how is that God going to speak to you? Well, through dreams, because he's an unconscious God and he's going to speak to you in your unconscious state. As a result, for God to be heard by these people, he had to give them a dream that they would consider important, and they would seek the interpretation of it. We do know from Babylonian records, for example, that uh, dreams of a very strong sort were very carefully recorded as a matter by the monarch, who narrated them on awakening, recorded. For the court scientists or magicians were what we would say psychoanalysts to analyze. Because what was to be the next step of nature or the baleen or the god? Why, the dreams would tell them. So these dreams were carefully recorded and carefully analyzed. And uh, some psychoanalysts have given a great deal of attention to this aspect in ancient history. But this was the reason. God spoke to them in the way that would be understandable to them and would gain their attention. Yes. No, no, these dreams were clearly sent from God. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar, any time he had a dream that was a very strong dream, he would call in a stenographer and dictate the dream to him, and then it would be turned over to the magicians, or we would say psychoanalysts, for analysis. Because this was important for the life of Babylon, to know what nature was going to bring forth next. Yes? Daniel was a high-ranking civil service official who was president of the College of Governors over all uh, the provincial governors or rulers at one point in his career. But because of his interpretation of the dream at the beginning, he had sufficient 
perceived in this respect in Nebuchadnezzar's mind so that at certain key points in his life he was called in to uh, explain these dreams which God had sent. In this case, however, I would say that the court officials did not want to interpret this dream. The first dream they could not interpret. This one they were afraid to interpret because it was so obvious. And who wants to tell a king that he's uh, going to be cut off? Yes. Nebuchadnezzar prospered and died of old age, ultimately. And in the next chapter, it deals actually with his grandson. Yes, it skipped over a, a period of time. And uh, when it speaks of his father, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, this is a term that was used for grandfather or father. It was applicable to both. Your question now. The statement conscience is the most sacred of all properties. Well, that statement sounds good, but it says a little too much. The Bible. No, it isn't. And in the second place, conscience varies. For example, we are told in Scripture concerning the ungodly that they have even their conscience seared and defiled. In other words, uh, um, an evil man doesn't have the same conscience that you do. His conscience is so scarred that sensitivity is lost. For example, if you have a great many scars and calluses on your fingers, you no longer have the same sensitivity there. Well, their conscience has lost a great deal of its sensitivity because it is so thoroughly defiled. Now, they are never free from the judgment of God in their hearts, but they do desensitize a great deal of it by their depravity or by various habits. A great many people drink to dull their conscience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It says a little too much. It's an overstatement. Conscience is important. Conscience has an important role, a God-given role. So that there's an element of truth to it, but it, it's a little overstated, definitely. Yes. Yeah. 